All right. Well, we're going to get into the word together. The uh, next two weeks, we're going to focus on leadership. We finally made it to Sinai. It only took us a couple months, but we got there following our leader, Moses, who knows where. And so here we are. We're at the foot of Sinai right now, and we are going to spend um, perhaps a, a, a year here. We are going to stay, and um, maybe, maybe you're confused why we're here. I certainly am, because if I was an Israelite and we arrived at Sinai, I would say to myself, this is it. We're in front of a giant rock in the middle of nowhere. We left Egypt for this. Now, we didn't grow up hearing about all the amazing things that happened at Sinai. We didn't hear about encountering God or the Ten Commandments. You know, Charlton Heston, who's he? I mean, we didn't know any of this stuff. Here we are. So God led his people to Sinai where amazing things are going to happen. Uh, but we just got here. We're a little worn out, a little exhausted. What we're going to observe today in the, in the Bible is that this new country, this new nation formed overnight. Uh, they left Egypt where they had pretty much the Egyptian government handling things like, you know, transportation and, and uh, agriculture and, and law enforcement. They had all these different things. And now they're out on their own and God's got to form a country. Moses is kind of the only official. So God's got to raise up leaders. We're going to learn a ton about leadership the next few weeks. I looked up an article from Forbes uh, Forbes put together an article on the 100 best quotes on leadership ever. So, so some of the quotes on leadership include this by Warren Bennis. Leadership is the capacity to translate vision into reality. That's good. Uh, General Patton said, lead me, follow me, or get out of my way. Probably with a cigar in his mouth while he said it in front of a giant American flag, right? General Montgomery Uh, from the British Army said, my own definition of leadership is this, the capacity and the will to rally men and women to a common purpose and the character which inspires confidence. There's a lot there. So good. Bill Gates said, as we look ahead into the next century, leaders will be those who empower others. And then, of course, you've got Teddy Roosevelt who said, no man is worth his salt who's not ready at all times to risk his well-being to risk his body, to risk his life in a great cause. These quotes on leadership cover so many of the basics that we've heard, right? Empowering others, looking ahead to the future, casting a vision, finding a great cause, having character, and of course, uh, being ready to risk. The world teaches us so many things about leadership. What does God teach us about leadership? What does the Bible have to say about leadership? Let me begin by defining what spiritual leadership is all about. Spiritual leadership, this is true in the home and in the church, uh, would be defined like this. uh, Helping others to worship, walk with, and work for Christ. It's as simple as that. If you are influencing another person or group to worship Christ, to walk with Christ, to work for Christ, you're a spiritual leader. These traits need to be growing in the home and the church. And so when we have leaders here at Harvest, we're very clear with them up front. Your leadership does not mean you're on a board. It doesn't mean you have power to make decisions. It doesn't mean you can boss other people around or tell them what to do. That's not spiritual leadership. Uh, we say here, don't aspire to governance. Aspire to leadership. And they are not the same. So spiritual leadership is when you help, because of you, someone else is growing in their worship, their walk, and their work. That's leadership. 
we will see the man of God, Moses, leading the country to grow in their worship of God, their walk with God, their work for God. That's spiritual leadership. And he's doing this while he's setting up a framework for government as well. Let's pray, and then Moses is going to teach us how to lead and how not to lead. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you fill your word with so many topics, so many practical topics. The next few weeks, we pray that you would grow us as a church in leadership, grow us as parents in leadership, grow us out in the work world in leadership. I think of those who perhaps have authority. They have employees. They have, they're on a board. They have influence. Uh, they have students. I just pray that you would speak to them and show them what it means to use their leadership in a godly manner. I pray for those, Lord, who are aspiring to leadership. Maybe you're tapping them on the shoulder and opening doors for them to lead. Lord, just grow our hearts in this area. Show us what it means to be godly men and women who can lead others into a greater place with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can open your Bibles up to Exodus chapter 18, verse 8. Exodus chapter 18, verse 8. As you turn there, uh, know that we're at Sinai. It took us months to get there. And and so Moses' father-in-law heard that they arrived. And so he came with the kids, Moses' kids and wife, uh, to come back. It's glorious reunion. And so we pick up the story in Exodus 18, verse 1, where it says this. Jethro, uh, anybody pregnant, expecting a baby boy? Let's bring this name back. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had... Uh, brought Israel out of Egypt. Wow, he heard. And what was Jethro's response? Uh, Well, it says down in verse 10, Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. Wow. Based on what Jethro heard from Moses, he praised God. He gloried in God. What do we learn about leadership from this encounter? The first thing that you can write down, the very basics would be this. Number one, leaders must be living proof of God's greatness. Leaders must be living proof of God's greatness. Jethro could have heard about Moses' role with the magic stick and parting the sea, right? And Jethro could have been like, wow, Moses. Frankly, if you were in the presence of Moses, I feel like you would kind of be like, whoa, whoa, it's him. It's him. Look at that beard. I mean, he did it. He walked like, wow, it's him. Uh, Not Jethro. He walked away saying, wow, God, I need to go have this special praise service for the one true God. Leaders must be living proof of God's greatness. The world doesn't get this at all. If you're a leader in the world, you're all about you. You attract people to you. You want people to glory in you. Look what I've done. Look where I've been. Look who I am. Look what I have. Look who I know. And let me just challenge you that if you are on that path, of leading for your own greatness, you will end that journey with nothing and no one. Because the day's coming when everyone who's ever lived will bow before one great ruler. Every knee shall bow before one person. No one will be bowing before you. 
All right? When that moment comes, you will not be standing and no one will be in front of you. So if you're in this life trying to get people to follow after you, your dream will die. It's just a question of when. And who will everyone who's ever lived fall on their face in front of? The most humble man who's ever lived. Humility is a force of greatness. And if you are, if you are lusting after more influence, more of you, more of you, more of you, I'm just telling you right now before it happens, your dream will die a horrible death and you will have no one following you ever. But there's a better way. And that way starts when you become living proof, not of your greatness, but of God's greatness. Who could forget Usain Bolt, the Jamaican sprinter, the fastest man who's ever lived, set record after record. He went to one Olympics and won three gold medals in three events, then went to another Olympics and won the same three gold medals in the same three events, and then went to Rio, and he had the opportunity to do what no one had ever done, same three gold medals in three, in three different Olympic games. And he won the first gold, and then everyone was like, he might just do it. And so he was interviewed, and they said, if this happens, you're already a legend. What do we call you? I mean, talk about feeding a guy's ego. And he told, he told the people, well, a reporter told me that if I get two more gold medals, I'll be immortal. So two more gold medals, and you can call me immortal. And he did win those two gold medals. A triple, triple. Three gold medals, three straight Olympics. And according to his estimation of himself, he's now immortal. What a portrait of a man who is living for his own glory. And guess what? That can be taken away. One of those gold medals was stripped of him because a teammate in one of the relay races was disqualified because he was doping. His his immortality rested on things that could be taken away from him. What does that make him now? I once was immortal. How does he introduce himself? You see, when you build your own foundation of leadership on your glory, it can and will be taken away from you. But if you build your foundation as a leader on God's greatness, then it'll never be stripped of you. How does God appoint leaders? Well, we see what's going on here. We see that God raised Moses up. He was so great. What a story. Raised royalty. I think you might be tempted to boast in your own greatness if you were raised in a palace. Your walking stick turned into a snake. You parted the Red Sea. You could call plagues down upon the superpower of the day and you could swallow up the whole military of an amazing country. You might, you might be tempted to boast in your own greatness if you can just hit a rock with your stick and a river of water comes out and you save millions of dying people in the middle of the desert. You might be a little full of yourself if those things were true of you. If you talked to God personally and he was in a burning bush. But all of this displayed not Moses' greatness, but God's greatness. Leaders must be living proof of God's greatness. So God is here and he's starting to build the leadership of a country. He's got Moses and there's nothing else formed here. There's nothing else. They didn't have things. They didn't have, you know, the department of the FDA. They didn't have the IRS, thank God. I mean, they didn't have a government, right? There was just like no system. There's no priesthood yet. Um, There's no law enforcement. Like, what do they do if there's a crime? I don't know what your favorite crime show growing up was, but my dad really liked Columbo. 
So we watch Columbo all the time. I got a picture. There's Columbo. He's going around solving cases. Solve one more question. One more question. Okay, they didn't have that. And we're about to see how that's creating a big bottleneck, a, a problem, because Moses is the government. God could have said, this is the way it's going to be. One great man, everything comes from him. But instead, God began to raise leaders up. And leaders must be living proof of God's greatness. Your story, your proof of God's greatness begins when you have a salvation story. I can't describe how tragic it is when people who aren't saved are appointed to leadership positions in a church. It's the worst thing that can happen. There are denominations that have unbelievers leading at the highest levels, and they are paying dearly for it. And when a church, a church like us, sees somebody who perhaps has connections or money or resources, or they've just been around for a long time, and they may or may not be a Christian, and suddenly they've got a position at the table, it's tragic. If a person doesn't have a salvation story, they can't prove that they're saved. They have no business in spiritual leadership. We had a men's leader retreat this last weekend, so many of our small group leaders, staff members, uh, ministry leaders went away for a few days. Uh, and up there, a few of our guys shared their testimonies. And I was so blessed by one of our elders who shared his story, how he was saved, and talked about how the truth of Christ fell on deaf ears up until he was in his 20s. And then his sister got saved, and then the family was all filled with with excitement, spiritual excitement, and people started praying for him to get saved, and he just wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it. People were witnessing to him all through the week, multiple people giving him tracts and asking him where he's at with the Lord, and he just couldn't get away from it all, but he was hardening his heart. Finally, he woke up one night, two in the morning, and knew, I've got to do this now. Woke his wife up at two in the morning. I don't know why he couldn't have done it earlier in the day. His wife was probably thinking, but when it's time, it's time. I've got I to gotta get this nailed down right now. And listen, if you aren't saved, you don't even have the first story to tell people about what God's done in your life. Moses went on and on about all the things God did, and Jethro praised the Lord for it. If you were to tell people what God's done in your life, do you have a salvation story? That's where it begins. One of our small group leaders said he was a good kid, church kid, thought he was fine. Knew about Jesus, but he thought Jesus could just make him even better. I'm good, and Jesus can make me even better. And then in his early adult years, when he blew up relationships and hurt people who he said he loved, he realized Jesus was not just there to make him better, because he wasn't good. Jesus was there to put his life back together again, because he's ruined it. And that's when he truly committed his life to Christ. One of our ministry leaders said, so honestly, he said, work was my idol. Seven days a week. I worked to be prosperous and successful. I worked year after year, seven days a week. No time for church. No time for God. No time for Christ. I was going to provide for me. And then one New Year's Eve, I lost my job and I lost my God. So I couldn't get out of bed for days. And then I woke up and I realized I need to go around and start apologizing to everybody who I've been neglecting because I had a false God. And then he turned to the one true God and let Jesus become the one who he served and Jesus become the one who provided for him. Hey, do you have that story? If you don't have that story, you don't have any spiritual influence in the lives of others. But you can have that story because God wants to save you. Leaders must be living proof of God's greatness. That happens when you have a salvation story of how God saved you. Then there's sanctification stories of how God 
broke you free from some sins that had been besetting you for years? Do you have those stories? You know, if the gospel hasn't changed you, it probably hasn't saved you. If you're the same old you that you've always been, and and God hasn't reached deep down into your darkened heart and ripped up a sin like a bloody tooth extracted from your jaw, if you don't have that story of when God ripped a, a pattern of sin out of your life, then maybe you're still your own God. If you're still comfortable in your sin and God isn't allowed to challenge that, where's your proof of God's greatness? Maybe you don't think God needs to change you. There's also the fruit of answered prayer. Leaders have living proof of God's greatness. Answered prayer. Uh, Leaders are people whose prayers are getting answered. They're praying big prayers. And, And they've got stories of God answering. I journal my prayers and so I've got whole shelf of prayer journals in my in my office it's very easy for me to go back to a different year and open it up and as i thumb through the pages uh i'll see sometimes big exclamation points that'll show me answered prayer answered prayer and there are some times where years in the making sustained prayer god answers and sometimes i fill a whole page with a giant exclamation point because i want to make sure i remember god did something awesome right there do you have those Do you have those answered prayer stories? Is God hearing you and responding? That's evidence that there's a relationship there. Leaders have them. Leaders must be living proof of God's greatness. And Moses was like, sit down. And then he told the whole story. And then Jethro's like, great is the Lord. Can you do that? When other people hear your story, do they say, the Lord is awesome? Leaders must be living proof of God's greatness. That's number one. If that's not there, nothing else matters. If you don't have that, it doesn't matter who you know. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter the letters you have after your name. You don't have any spiritual credibility. Leaders must be living proof of God's greatness. Number two, jot this down. Leaders must have big ears. Teachability is a leader trait that's highlighted here. So if we read in verse 13, reading on, here's what happened. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. Duh. I'm Moses. When they have a dispute, they come to me and I decide between one person and another, and I make them known the statutes of God and his laws. This makes perfect sense. For having an argument... It's not my fault. It's your fault. It's not my fault. It's your fault. Well, fine. Let's go let Moses settle it. Yeah, let's go let Moses settle. All right, we're going to Moses. Be pretty cool. I'd get in that line, right? I'd get in that line. When I grew up, also, I watched a show called People's Court. How many of you have watched a show called People's Court with Judge Wapner? Remember Judge Wapner? All right, do you really remember? Were you really a fan? Who was the bailiff? What was his name? Rusty. Rusty. There we go. See, there's some true fans in the room here. If you, didn't know, if you didn't know the answer to that question, you should be ashamed of putting your hand up because you really didn't watch it. People's court. Dun, dun, dun. Judge Wapner, all rise. Right now, well, this is like Judge Moses. I'm just imagining as the day is wearing on, father-in-law is watching this, probably seeing his daughter and the kids over there watching this, and Moses is like, next, next, next. Oh, he stole your plow, huh? How much was it worth? Do you want me to help you with that? Next. Next. 
right? Then there's the difficult people. I saw the movie My Cousin Vinny. Did you see the movie My Cousin Vinny? Then there's the difficult people, right? And Moses is watching this like, where did this person come from? All day long. No time for anything else. And I don't know, you ever feel like somebody's watching you? Like you're doing your job and there's somebody who's watching you? What if it's your in-law, father-in-law? And this guy's got influence too. He's a priest of a whole land and he knows a thing or two about leadership and he's just, he's just getting angrier and angrier throughout the whole day. Right? Finally, when Moses takes a water break or something, he goes up to him, talks to him. And he says, what you're doing, verse 17, is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. God's been trying to hammer away at Moses. He's been trying to drill this lesson. So just before this was the story of the great battle and uh, Moses went up on the hill and held his staff up and they were winning. Then he got tired and they started losing. So a few other people had to come up and help him. God's trying to show him, you need help, you need help. You need, I'm Moses, you need help. Verse 19, now obey my voice. I'll give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. Warn them, yes, teach, make them known the way and look after the people. But then he tells them to raise up other leaders, other leaders. Leaders must have big ears. Moses could have been like, dad, go home. I got this. Thanks, no thanks. I got this. Moses could have been like, la, 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 can't hear you because I'm Moses. He could have been unteachable. But instead, he opened his ears wide and he heard everything that was being told to him because he knew God was growing him. Teachability is a huge essential trait for leadership. It's really hard and sad when, as people get older in the faith, they think maturity is smaller ears, bigger mouth. Smaller ear. I'm always concerned when I hear about the veteran Christian who has gotten to the point where they have only their favorite teacher who they listen to. Well, Kay Arthur is my teacher. And anything she said, oh, she's the only one, huh? Well, she, no one says it. Like you're a connoisseur of scripture. Well, I've got my scholar that, you know, and when, when John MacArthur says it, I believe it. And Oh, really? You've just found the one, huh? And uh, the ears get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller, and they're not listening. They're not listening. And then the mouth gets bigger. People have literally said to me, well, at my age, I just say it like it is. Oh, really? Do you now? It's the way age works, huh? Your filter gets thinner, and you think that's maturity? Really? Well, I can't wait to get to that age. (laughs) Or I can just speak my mind because the further I go into ministry and the more I grow as a shepherd, the more I realize I need a thicker filter and I need to be much more careful with the words I use so I don't hurt the sheep of God. Okay, That's maturity. Maturity is bigger ears, smaller mouth. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Be very careful what you're longing for as you mature in the faith. If you're longing for less listening, more talking, you're longing for the wrong thing. You'll have a hard time staying humble if you don't have big ears. Numbers 12.3 applauds Moses for this. It says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. He was known for his meekness. Meekness means strength in check. 
One image that can describe this word is like a, a war horse that has a saddle on it. The war horse is strong and brave, but it allows a rider to sit on top of it and command it. Now, you have to be strong to be meek. Be very careful here. You know, if someone's like so passive and so, well, you do whatever you want. I don't care. I'm just going to sit here and you do whatever you want. That's not meekness. Right? That's like being a jellyfish. That's the opposite of leadership. You're a couch potato, not a leader. All right. You've got to have strength if you're going to be meek, but that strength has to be reined in by God's power and His law. Uh, don't elevate in your mind this idea of being, being a godly man or a leader means I have no backbone whatsoever. That's not it. You have to have strength to be meek. Leaders must have big ears, and Moses shows that. There's some Proverbs that spell this out for us. Proverbs 26.16 says this, The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. See, the sluggard here is condemned because he won't, even if seven guys show up, and they're like, it's a bad idea, it's a bad idea, it's a bad idea. He's like, I got it. I'm fine. Do you know people like this? It doesn't matter how many people tell them it's a bad idea. They'll still do it. We, we had somebody in our church who was going to make a big decision. And, some, and there were like 10 of the godliest men in our church as part of this leadership group. And every one of them told this guy, eh, yellow light, yellow light, red light, yellow light, red light. And he just went like this. No, one of my friends said that it's probably a good opportunity, so I'm going to take it. And I'm like... Wow. Wow. I mean, if these 10 guys in this room told me that I needed a, you know, whatever they told me, I'd be like, yeah, you're right. They're like, you need a different car. I'd be like, all right, I'll go get a different car. They're like, you need a new haircut. I'd be like, I'm going to the barber today. Because you're all saying it. And this guy's just like, no, no, I think I'm good. And he ran after it, and the whole thing fell apart. He couldn't take advice. He had small ears. Ecclesiastes 4.13 says this, Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. A sophomore in high school who's wise and poor, better than old rich guy who can't listen to advice anymore. Immature, mature. Worse, better. You close your ears and you're going to end up in a worse situation than a sophomore in high school who's still got their ears open. In our church, we try and prioritize uh, teachability. We challenge our leaders to have big ears because we want the followers of Christ to have open ears to grow. Sometimes people come to a church and they try and find a place that's very spiritually comfortable. They don't want to change. If that's what you want, this is not the church for you. Because what we prioritize is growth. We think God's continuing to challenge us. I, for one, know that, you know, for me, my, if Christ has like a download that he wants to get into me throughout my life, I'm maybe, maybe I'm getting close to double digits of how much of that download has gotten into me. And I believe the vast majority of my spiritual growth is coming in the future. Some people, you talk to them, and they act like they're at the 99%. Like they've almost got it all. And it's really bad when, when leaders, when a whole culture of leaders in a church walk around like they've almost got it all. Oh yeah, I, I know this and I know that and I've got this and I know this person. And it's like, wow, it sounds to me like your download is almost complete. Well, well done. And, and if somebody's got that attitude, which is dead wrong, that Jesus is almost done with them, watch out. Because they're either going to have to start faking it to live up to that lie or God is going to rock them. All right, and show them that they are actually not even close to being done yet. 
Be very careful into thinking that God is almost practically finished with you. He's just getting started. He's just getting started. Really. There's so much more he wants to do in your heart, leader. Which is why it's disastrous when a leader is deaf to feedback. We've had this, it's been so painful when we've had leaders in our church uh, who, you know, going into it, we told them, hey, you know, we believe in, in the quote, which is not original to us, but feedback is the breakfast of champions. We tell leaders that. And then they get pretty surprised when after they've led for a while, we sit down and we're like, well, we've seen this in your life and we'd really like to challenge you to grow in this area. And there are some people where the force field goes up and they make it clear very quickly that you are not allowed to touch their sin. And a few leaders in particular, we've said, hey, this is, God's really bringing this to light. We really think he wants this to change and they won't listen, won't listen, won't listen. And then bam, and, and God pulls the eject button and off they go poorly because they will not listen when feedback is required. Other leaders in our church, God just started bringing something to light and challenging them in an area. And at first they didn't want to see it, but then they embraced it. And God did awesome things in those hearts. But we have to have leaders who have big ears. We really build feedback into our whole leadership culture. All of our elders get an annual review every year. They fill out a four-page document and sit down and they get grilled. What about this? How's this going? How's your marriage? How's your family? How's this? Anything we need to know? Any secrets? I mean, they just get grilled. Because we want feedback to be the norm, not the exception. Our staff gets an annual review every year. We just finished up that. Hey, on the way in, did you grab a copy of the annual report, one per family? If not, get one on the way out. Hold it up if you got one. Did you get one of these? Don't read it now. If if anyone next to you starts reading this, I want you to raise your hand and I will come in. (laughs) I will tear up their annual report and make them start over. I'm still preaching here, and I want you to have big ears. But take time to read this. I mean, this is a summary of everything that God did last year in every one of our ministries, and our staff sat down and just wrote up some awesome things God did. This is a fruit of our annual review process where they turn in a portfolio to me, and we go through what God's done, and then we report that back to you. This is accountability. This is you seeing the money, the numbers, the attendance, the leadership, right? We're accountable to you. We want to be open about all that. I present that all to the elders, and then they hold me accountable. I'm growing as a leader. I said my annual review last week. One of our elders did that, and he, you know, right from the beginning, he starts asking me questions about my marriage, how I'm treating my wife, and then I'm just like, all right, let's talk. Let's go there. Any question goes. Accountability starts at the top, and we want that to permeate all of our ministries. You know, for me, when I think of how God has grown me as a leader... I've had many leadership opportunities. I was a deacon. I was a youth pastor. I've been on some boards. The first leader thing I've ever done is I was a drum major in high school. I, I, I tried out to be the drum major in high school, the one who conducts the marching band. This might look simple, but it's harder than you will ever know because I had to audition to be this person. I got to walk out in front of the parade. I got to be up there during the high school football game, Stag High School, marching chargers, and, and you get to be a leader. You have to be the one calling everybody to attention, right? And talking to them before the contest. So when I made it, they sent me, uh, summer of my junior year, they sent me to leadership camp at ISU. I was like, oh, I get to go to leader camp. I'm going to be able to come back and tell everybody else what to do. I'm going to be a leader. Me and the other girl who was a drum major went to leader camp. Well, the day before leader camp, I was uh, at the Hickory Hills golf course with my friends because we'd sneak onto the course, go into the ponds there, We'd pull up a bunch of golf balls and sell them to get money, right? So, confession, 
So there we were. We're in the pot. We're pulling up all these golf balls, and then we're and there's this. I mean, this is like filthy muck and mire, and I don't know what's in here. And for some reason, my eye kept itching. So all day long, I'm like rubbing my eye, rubbing my eye. Well, the next day, I wake up to go to leader camp, and I have the mother of all face rashes that broke out on my face. I mean, it was bright red, oozing. It was just like my eye was almost swollen shut. And my mom's like, you want to go to leader camp? I'm like, yeah, I got to go to leader camp. I'm going to be a leader. So I went to leader camp. I walk into my bunk at ISU and there's high schoolers from all over the country here. How cool is that? I walk in and the guy goes, hey, hi, whoa. I'm like, yeah, I got a rash. He's like, you okay, man? I'm like, yeah, I'm good. It's just, you know, rare. And then I find out at the end of the first day, while my eye was hurting, I pulled up my contact and it had a big tear in it. I was like, oh, there goes that. I didn't bring my glasses. So now I've got one eye. And I'm walking around with my rash and I've got to put ointment on it all week long. It's hot out. And we're walking around. And then finally, midweek, my other contact gets a tear in it. And so I take out my other contact and I'm like, I'm blind. So now somebody had to like walk. And I've got bad vision bad vision. And so now like I'm being walked across the streets with my face rash, white stuff all over me and it's oozing. And I'm like trying to follow what's going on. And I'm so lost. You ever march blind? I'm marching blind, bumping into people. And then, and then they decided to have a dance at the end of this week. Cause there's high schoolers, hundreds of them from all across the country. So I'm at this dance, can't see anybody. My face is all, I felt like sloth from the Goonies. I'm just like, I don't know if anyone's going to want to dance with me. (laughs) And nobody did. So I went home, and that's how I became a leader. I've come a long way. Now, why did I share that story? Because I know now that God had plans to build me up to being a leader, right? At the time, you know, they knew that if I was going to do this, I needed to go get leader training. Now, if you need leader training to do this, you need leader training to lead other things. God brought Jethro along to thump Moses on the head and to just be like, hey, you need to grow. You need to grow as a leader. And that starts when you have big ears and you take feedback. Check this picture out. In our small groups, we're really going for accountability, true accountability. You opening up your ears and saying, hey, help me to understand this. Help me to grow in this. You start off superficial, sharing surface stuff, the facts. Then maybe you get to the point where you're a little authentic. Okay, here's who I really am. Here's what I'm really like. And then you get to the point where you have to make a decision to be actually transparent. Hey, here's what's really going on in my heart. Here's what's really happened in my past. Here's what I'm really afraid of for my future. But then the bottom, the bedrock is where you're truly vulnerable. And you tell people things about yourself that they could use to hurt you. And you know it. That, when that trust is there, some of these things, maybe you need to share one-on-one with your small group leader. But when you get to that point, that's when the growth happens. Joe Brown said a great thing. It's really stuck with me. He said, your level of transparency will become your level of freedom. Hey, mark it down. Your level of transparency will become your level of freedom. You want to keep going to small group and confessing that you told a white lie, you're struggling with time management, You need to talk nicer to your kids. Great. You're not going to grow. You really have to open up. That means you're willing to receive feedback. Number one, leaders must be living proof of God's greatness. Number two, leaders must have big ears. Number three, leaders must learn to share their power. 
Share their power. God's trying to show this to Moses. It says in verse 24, Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law, verse 24, and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, chiefs of hundreds, chiefs of fifties, chiefs of tens. And they judged the people at all times in any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart. He went away to his own country. I asked myself, what would this be like? Let's say there's a parallel event here and suddenly all of us are in charge of structuring a new movement of churches that has about 2 million people in it and there's no organization yet. All right, so we start with that. And if we divvied it up into like, you know, groups of a thousand. Let's let's say we started forming churches of a thousand. All right, church of it, you're there, you're there, you're there. Okay, there'd, there'd be like 2,000 of those. So imagine if now Moses has 2,000 megachurch pastors coming to him for advice in an instant. He's handing off a tremendous amount of authority. Then under them, let's say that they formed, you know, pockets of about 200 Let's say those are like the different ministries of a church and, and staff pastors are put in charge of a 200 each. Well, there's 10,000 of those. So now there's 10,000 pastors, associate pastors, in charge of 200 people each. 1,000 mega church pastors, 10,000 staff pastors, and then there's small groups. Let's say we divvied them up into groups of 20. He would have 100,000 small groups to manage. Where's Pastor Dave? How would you feel, Pastor Dave, if you had 100,000 small groups to manage effective immediately? Do you see how Moses was trying to do the work of 100,000 people plus thousands of pastors plus? Do you see how foolish he was being? And yet we can do the same thing if we don't share power. Here at Harvest Palace, the way leadership is set up is we've got elders And 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1 and 2 says the elders are the leaders in the church. We appoint the godliest men um, to lead in doctrine, discipline, and direction. We are an elder-led church. Then the elders share their power. They appoint deacons who handle benevolence, finances, and facility. And the elders delegate their authority to the staff leaders and say, you're in charge of youth, you're in charge of worship, you're in charge of missions. That authority comes from the elders, but they hand it over. So the elders aren't micromanaging everything. Why didn't I know about what's going on in women's ministry? You know, that's been given to Kim Lang. She's in charge of that ministry. See? And then our ministry leaders do a fantastic job with what has been entrusted to them by the elders. We have small group leaders who are in charge of 10, 15, 20 people. Right? And we entrust them with that responsibility. So leaders have to learn to share power. They have to spread it out. If they don't spread it out, the Bible is clear. You're going to wear yourself out. Moses needed to multiply himself because he was a Lone Ranger leader. This last week, there was a fire at Jared's school before any of the kids got there. 6 a.m., Navajo School in Palos. One of the classrooms burnt down. So here's some pictures. The fire truck showing up. uh, And here's another picture from inside the building of what happened there. Look at how charred it is. They had to break out all the windows, cut holes in the roof. They brought the fire hose in there and sprayed everything. Here's the next picture. I mean, it's just, this is gone. This is the classroom right across from Jared's classroom. And it's totally destroyed. Look at the ceiling tiles. 
Jared's room is right across the hallway. They've, they had to block up the whole hallway, and nobody's allowed in there. And Jared left his lunchbox at school, so that's gone. <laughs> Way to go. Where's your lunchbox? In my desk. Great. Gotta go get another one. So look at that, though. Thankfully, nobody was hurt, but this is going to take months to figure out. Now, they're trying to figure out where the fire came from, and, and currently what they think is there was this iPad charging station with all the iPads, you know, like, what, 20, 30 iPads, and they had allowed the cords to get frayed, and there was a capacity issue, too many things plugged in, and somehow that led to the fire. There is a leadership lesson here, because if you are overloading yourself and going beyond your capacity and letting the wires fray and you're not charging properly, there is going to be an absolute disaster. People are going to have to come in and hose you down when you go up in flames because you're trying it Moses' way. One single file line, everyone get in front of me. Leaders have to learn to share their power and multiply themselves. If you're a leader, if you're a boss, if you're in charge of anything in this church, let me just challenge you. Capacity is a very real dynamic, and God won't understand if you keep trying to do it all yourself. He won't. You will burn yourself out. You have to raise up others, which is why our small group leaders need to raise up apprentices, which is why our small group system needs to raise up flock leaders, which is why our staff needs to raise up ministry leaders, right? We need new elders, new deacons, new small group leaders, new... And if you keep trying to do it on your own without an apprentice, your small group is going to crush you. We have to learn the lesson. Leaders must learn to share their power. Let me challenge you as we close out here because this is just part one. We're going to talk about leadership again next week and see more principles. If you're a leader in the church or outside of the church, I'd love for you to read through the book of Proverbs with me over the next four weeks. Read through the book of Proverbs and let's show the Lord that our ears are open and we want him to grow us as leaders. We're not done yet. We want feedback and we want it to start with God. And let me challenge you that if you're a leader here in the church, boy, if you feel overwhelmed beyond your capacity, like you're about to just go up in flames, just tell someone, I need help. If Moses needed to say, I need help, I need help, you might need to sit down and say, I need help, I need to figure this out because I've reached my limit. It's better to talk about it now before it's too late. Hey, we're going to close in prayer here, and we're going to ask the Lord to grow us as a church in leadership and to grow us individually as leadership, and then we'll continue with this next week. Let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we're so grateful that you raise up leaders, godly men and women to help us in our lives, to care for us. I'm just so thankful for all the leaders who are stepping up at Harvest Palace to shepherd others in our hope groups, our soul care ministries, financial peace. There are so many people helping so many people. Lord, humble us. Teach us that we can't do it alone, but with you, we are able. And we pray that above all, we would be living, walking, breathing examples of your greatness, that it would not be about us, that it would always be about you. We thank you for the opportunity to lead others, Lord. We're not worthy to untie your sandals. We're not worthy to carry your shoes, but you would give us this blessed opportunity to serve other people. Grow us as a church. Add more leaders to our church and better leaders. Grow us as we lead in our homes. Grow us as we lead in the workplace. Humble us and teach us to glorify you wherever we go and to be wise. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.